Hey folks, just a few words before we get started on today's episode. As you'll shortly hear, this was the second time we had to record this episode after a glitch left the first recording largely unusable on one track, and while this time around worked better, there are still some bits of audio weirdness for which I apologize. Also, this episode's reading comes with content warnings for racial microaggressions and implied violence against communities of color. If that's not something you need in your life right now, we totally understand. You can skip forward 24 minutes from the beginning of the reading to just bypass it. This episode also contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bismiets. Listeners, I'm very excited to introduce my guest today. L.D. Lewis is a multiply Hugo finalisted author, artistic director at Fiacon, and incoming publisher of Fireside Magazine. L, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. Wink, wink. <laughs> Yes, uh, we we had a technical difficulty, and this is our our second go recording this. So you know, I love a good take crossed. too. Maybe maybe I'll I'll read better. I'm very bad at like reading um, out loud. Like I don't perform. You did I'm, great. I'm super like monotone. So I'm excited awesome. to um to not do worse than the first day. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to have another just lovely conversation with you, and this time our listeners will get to hear both sides of it. I'm excited, because it would have been really weird for you to just be talking to yourself this hour. <laughs> I may or may not post the the single-sided conversation as bonus content, but who knows at this point. Everyone loves an outtake. Everybody loves an outtake. Uh, Patreon.com slash Trunkcast. May as well just plug that right now. So, Elle, you're going to be reading Last Stand of the East 12th Street Pirates. Is that correct? I am. And is there anything that we need to know about this going into the story? No, but after our first take, I'm thinking maybe a content warning or two might might be. Nothing bad happens in it, but uh, there, there are some allusions to uh, uh, macroaggressions uh, regarding... Yep class and race that particular intersection if not state-sponsored violence then corporate state-sponsored violence yeah so you've been warned you have been warned uh and listeners i will have put at the beginning of the show a note of when you can skip to if you need to not have that in your life so this is your final warning My whistle has been wet, and (laughs) off we go. We are off to the races. Off we go. This is totally not the appropriate tone for the story. This is not at all the appropriate tone, but we're just going to go for it, 
It's going to be great. Listeners, you're in for a treat. I've already heard this story once. And we'll, we'll see if it, um, if it affects you same, the same the second time around. <clears throat> Last stand of the East 12th Street Pirates. Stand back, doors closing. Dee heard the musical bing-bong of the departure warning between song transitions in her headphones and watched as the heads of workers in line ahead of her lolled back in the universal why-God gesture of commuters everywhere. <laughs> there was only one freight car down the wall into the flood district, and it was shared by all bulk service providers who came bearing gifts, maintenance workers, solar installers, grocery and package delivery, and the like. Mm. A bing-bong meant another 15-minute wait. Dee thrummed her fingers along the handle of her hand cart and flicked through her manifest for the tenth time. Watertight boxes containing a week's worth of snail mail for 18 blocks of residence stacked to her chin. Bobby, her partner, stood behind her with another cart between them. She glanced back to find his mouth was moving quickly, the way it did when he was complaining. He'd only been on this route a little over a year compared to her ten, so his version of morning banter was still fuming over protocol. <laughs> Dee shrugged her sympathies and turned back around. She was just happy they made it in before Amazon. The flooded part of the city stretched into the sea below them. Rooftops presented largely as rows of solar panels were less impressive on dreary overcast days like this. The only living green was on top of buildings west of 17th to denote the moneyed neighborhoods whose tree-lined streets weren't possible. Mm. The floodwaters stopped receding the summer of 2025. There was no great catastrophe. Storm frequency had simply outpaced the plans being developed to prevent it. We'd been promised a cinematic fate, drowned by a final wave, inevitable and big enough to name. The reality, that we could be undone by three inches of standing water in places no water should be, had largely registered as an affront and then became an opportunity. Rather than force resettlement on the residents who couldn't or wouldn't evacuate, the district had become an experiment in how to maintain infrastructure, a functioning society on top of an encroaching sea. Dee and Bobby managed to squeeze into the next freight car wedged between a plucky greengrocer from a dry part of the city and an exhausted looking FedEx driver with his own cart of heavy deliverables the descent to the commercial docks was quick accompanied by a series of pneumatic hisses and pleasant AI voiced reminders to check sidearms for functionality and report any security concerns to the dock manager mm. doors opening step back to allow users to exit before boarding. The docks buzzed as personnel loaded and unloaded small company cargo vessels. Chatter mingled while Dee and Bobby carved a path to their slip where a pair of federal blue USPS boats were anchored. Dee climbed aboard and lowered the ramp for Bobby to load their cargo. He was a burly young man with a neat beard and a joke for every occasion. Dee regarded him mostly as a nephew who played too much but she was always happy to let him do the lifting while she strapped everything down. <laughs> Morning, Andy, Bobby called behind her. Dee turned from her tangle of 550 cord to see a stern-looking woman approaching the slip and a salt-spattered windbreaker in glasses it must have been impossible to actually see out of. <laughs> she was the dock manager and checked manifest paperwork for items requiring insurance. Too many, and the delivery team would need added manpower for secure transport. It is that, 
Andy replied, punching the screen of her tablet. Any precious cargo? Packages all standard, Dee grunted, climbing back over the cases of mail to greet her on the dock. Anything going up past 17th? Always. Might want to get that done first. Mm-hmm. Dee was about to ask why when a helicopter passed loudly overhead. Andy pointed up at it. New bills getting shipments today. Shit, Dee thought. It was her turn to be exasperated. Amazon? Mm-hmm. They're not playing with the pirates this time either. I'd clear out before dark. Harbor check? Bobby shifted his posture to point to the pistol holstered on his hip. The thing made D itch. What does that mean? They're not playing with the pirates this time, D asked. The feds done letting any old thing happen here. They're trying to bring in new money to keep the program going, so if an opportunity presents itself to clean up, private security's got the green light to do it. There's a briefing about it Monday. Check your docket. Andy gave her a pointed look that said she'd been warned and handed Dee a stylus to sign the tablet before taking off. Dee chewed her lip, watching boats drift from their moors into the lapping waters of South Street. She'd lived here once, and working her route was a lot like coming home. She knew these people, and she knew the pirates. No one had cared about theft when this place was the new Wild West, when laws regarding rights and property and enforcement were fluid while the new systems were put into place. She hated the way the luxury new builds were taking priority over the original residents, the way new money brought surveillance and new penalties for people who couldn't afford them. If they could afford that, they could have afforded to leave. Well, Dee thought, same as it ever was. We do in the West End first then? Bobby interrupted her thoughts. No, we've got people's medications and stuff here that can't wait. We'll just be quick about it. She paused in preparations to take stock of Bobby, relaxing against the side of the boat, thumbs hooked into his belt loops like a lazy cop absently drawing attention to his sidearm. Keep your hand off that thing, she told him. You're not shooting anybody over here. You delivered the day of mail. Bobby chuckled. Hey, if it comes down to me or them, it'll be you if I have to repeat myself if you snap back. All right, Miss Lady, calm down. He raised his hands in surrender, but the interest smirk was still there. D threatened to kill him at least once a week, but it was usually after lunch. <laughs> I am calm. Just don't make me toss your big behind overboard. I know you can't swim, D replied, chuckling at the visual in her mind when she started the engine. Shit, I can dog paddle, he winked. D barked her laughter this time as Bobby nudged them away from the dock. She nodded at the captain of a bright lime shipped boat bearing groceries, drifting by ahead of them as they cleared the dock. Leave and go where, Jew Watterson scoffed. She was one of the original residents of the Flood District, here through every inch of the transformation because her aging mother wouldn't leave. Their third-story apartment was now effectively the ground floor. She stood in the doorway, dark skin illuminated by LEDs in the mesh great walkway that served as a sidewalk. They had the same conversation every time Dee stopped by. Things had gotten better, but would inevitably get worse. Either way, when it came to evacuating, You'd have to have somewhere to go first. You know, I don't know, Dee always responded, handing over the month's bills and a carton of medications. Did you notice the air traffic is picking up here? Saw a chopper earlier. Doc manager said something about increased security coming in. About time? I, what do you mean about time? The elder Mrs. Watterson called angrily from inside. 
you know they're not coming to help any of us. All they're coming to do is harass these kids. June rolled her eyes and Dee tried not to laugh. How are you doing, Mrs. Watterson? She called, glimpsing small woman shucking newly delivered peas at their dining room table. I'm fine, baby. How are you? You doing things the same way on the other side of the wall? Mrs. Watterson replied. Much of the venom gone out of her tone. Nothing's changed, Dee replied. Nothing ever does, Mrs. Watterson said. Dee checked her watch and glanced at Bobby down in the boat, tapping away at his phone screen. It was nearing noon and they were moving a little slower than she'd hoped. Ladies, I have to get going. We're supposed to clear out by nightfall, she said. Take care, baby. We'll see you next week, Mrs. Watterson called. Dee hesitated before taking on a conspiratorial tone as she continued talking to June. Hey, I don't know if Jay's been around lately, but the security that's coming in? They're coming for pirates. There's an Amazon shipment coming in tonight on the west side, and they're ready if he hits it. June's lips tightened, and alarm sparked briefly in her eyes before sputtering out into something like resignation, but she nodded. Jay was her nephew. Dee had known him as a child, but he'd come of age on the low seas of the flood district. With no streets to run and minimal resources to stay idle hands, he'd made quite a name for himself as the 12th Street Robin Hood. Mm. That boy, June sighed. I'll make some calls, but you'll probably see him out there before we do. I'll tell him to come home if I do. Dee gave her a quick hug before moving down the block, pulling up her hood as the steady rain began to fall. The buildings were shorter, their first two stories hidden beneath murky water crusted with neon algae blooms. Retractable bridges connected buildings across street canals, ready to be taken up a level should the water rise again. Mm -hmm. The streets were no wider now than they had been when cars used them, and it was a careful dance trying to navigate them all at the same time. Bobby followed beneath her in the boat. Between the gentle rain and the lighted pathways, the sense and sounds of small but happy homes, this place on the edge of the world could be quaint, if only it could last. She stepped into an apartment building near the top of 14th Street and knocked on a Mr. Carver's door. She once lived in the two-story building next door, but it was gone. She watched over the years as the waterline crept up and swallowed it. Even the rooftop now disappeared beneath the vibrating surface of the water. Good afternoon, Mr. Carver, she said cheerily when he opened the door. A wave of lemon and a freshly worked timber followed behind him. Miss D, I can hardly tell it's been a week already, he said, rolling his wheelchair backwards. She had space to put his packages in the hallway. The flat was an open, sprawling space with broad windows that once might have fetched a pretty penny in terms of real estate. Music radiated from somewhere within it, and a row of handsome wooden chairs he built himself lined one of the walls. Does seem like time's speeding up, doesn't it? Dee replied. Yeah, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, though. You remember that big old oak out back? He asked. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever had much use for clocks, but I could tell time of day by that thing's shadows, he said wistfully, gazing out of one of the windows where there was only now a gray expanse of water. I miss it. I, I miss trees. There's still trees on the dry side. You thought about moving over? I have a friend who could get you a good deal on the workshop space. Far enough away from the wall? You know it's only a matter of time before that side looks like this side. I can't afford to keep moving. 
Out in the hallway, music blared out of an open door a moment before being muffled again behind it. Dean leaned back out of the door with a squint at a young man headed toward the exit. Jay? She called. He turned around. Mr. Carver, I have to head out, but I'll see you next week, okay? She said quickly. All right, now be safe, Mr. Carver waved her off, and she closed his door behind her. Sup, Miss D? Jay smiled broadly and hugged her. He'd been a short, bobble-headed eight-year-old once, but had grown into a handsome, athletic young man with an easy confidence and a boisterous intelligence. She could see him as a leader of a great many things in another time and place. Here, though, he was just a pirate. Nothing at all. You still being a menace? Dennis asked him. Never that, he replied modestly, pulling out his phone and responding to messages buzzing on it. Do study them. I saw June and your grandma. They haven't seen you lately? Nah, I've been busy, but I'll make sure I drop by soon so they don't worry. Busy with what? Are you still taking things that don't belong to you? Jay hesitated before putting his phone away. Taking on the relaxed posture of someone who'd received more than a few lectures, he was prepared to stand and take respectfully, even if he didn't intend to absorb any of it. I don't know what you're talking about. Jay, they're protecting that shipment tonight. This game you've been playing all these years, they're ending it now. Cops are paying attention. Private security is paying attention. What you're doing is bad for business, and they will take you down for it. That's how the story goes. It's how it always goes. Think about your future. <laughs> the future? Jay scoffed. Where? Decide. He was right. There was no using the future against kids these days when everything seemed to be winding down if you stopped for a moment to think about it. Hmm. You're right. That was stupid. I, I meant... Misty, that wall has everybody thinking what's going on over here. Won't come for that. He pointed a suddenly angry finger toward the entrance and the wall behind it. Hmm. But it will. That's the only future. Anybody moving here by choice has missed the point. The only game on this side of town is taking what you can get and whatever money you can get for it to get yourself and your people as far away from the edge of the world as possible. If you try and take that shipment tonight, there's a high chance you and all your people will die violently. What would that do to June? Dee pleaded. He shook his head, and Dee felt strangely like she'd let him down. Like I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'll bet, mm -hmm. Dee replied. She didn't know what else she could say. His phone buzzed again, and his attentions diverted as he typed his responses. Dee didn't doubt it was about the night's plans. Look, I gotta go, he said, backing away toward the door. I'll tell Aunt June I'll stop by next week. You should come by for dinner or something. I... Be safe, she blurted. He nodded hmm. and left at a jog, the door banging closed behind him. 17th Street was a garden. The buildings here were covered in aquatic climbing vines, and the walkways were trimmed with flowering plants accented by exterior illumination, that suggested this place existed by design and not catastrophe. Mm. The sun had only just gone down when Dee started her rounds here. She found the doors painted a bright white or a cheery pastel, and the residents enjoying the outdoor space on their fenced-in rooftops. Mm. 
Boat slips attached to the backs of residences were filled with modest vessels that seemed luxurious compared to the relative stationary nature of the rest of the district. Bobby was noticeably antsy where he waited in the boat, his head more on a swivel now and less on his phone. They passed many of the other cargo vessels headed back to the docks. Dean knew no one here personally and made quick work of slipping mail through slots or leaving packages on doorsteps as she made her way up the block. She couldn't stop herself from peering into the dark for signs of Jay when a foghorn announced the Amazon vessel being loaded in the docks. She hated when they did that. It meant everyone knew when a massive, expensive shipment was arriving and served as a warning to clear the canals of traffic so the damn thing could fit. Dee's heart pounded as the noise of air traffic picked up in the dark overhead. The buzzes were small and clipped and marked by blinking red light surveillance drones. But she remembered the helicopter and couldn't stop herself, imagining all the things it was intended for that were worse than watching. We need to roll, Bobby called, watching the skies himself. Yeah, you're not wrong, Dee called back. Mm. She was scanning a label on a package she was leaving when the door opened and she nearly startled herself backwards over the walkway railing. Oh, sorry, the man said with a professional sort of smile. He looked at the package on the ground and nudged it inside with his foot. Is this it? I was expecting more. If it's Amazon, it's on the way, he said quickly and tried to move on. Do you always deliver mail this late? I thought I was going to have to confront someone when I opened. Confront how? Dee snapped. She knew what confront meant. That always meant the same thing when some people said it. She must have made a face because the man seemed to think better of the conversation and backed into his home. No worries. Have a good night. Dee finished the block, but noticed her hands were shaking by the time she reached the end. It got colder here at night, but her nerves were frayed. She could see the future of this place, and that man in a confrontation with a boy like Jay or one of her other friends who lived here. The way it would end. The way it always did, because nothing ever changed. Oh. Bobby stared her down as she lowered herself back into the boat. He was concerned about her, about this night, but wouldn't press leaving any more than he already had without her say-so. Let's head back. Next week will have to get done tomorrow, she said. Don't hear me complaining. You want me to drive? I got it. She insisted and turned over the engine as the drone of a helicopter began to grow louder. They watched as a spotlight started its stands over the rooftops and canals, looking for any sign of trouble. Bobby switched on the blue light that would indicate they were a federal vessel and not pirates or people with a general disdain for curfews. Dee steered them through the dark water at a clip bordering recklessness, trying to stay off the most direct route to the west side so as not to interfere with the Amazon ship's path. It meant more side streets and more sharp, dark turns. Part of her hoped it also meant she could stumble upon Jay and his crew in time to block them. And then it happened. 14th and Wax. Dee nearly sent the boat barreling into a matte black behemoth emerging stealthily from an alleyway. She drilled into reverse long enough to neutralize her momentum and then shuddered into a drift at 50 feet. Dee, what are you doing? Bobby hissed at her. Dee didn't answer but turned a spotlight onto the black boat where a dozen masks and pairs of shining eyes that started appearing over the bow. She couldn't make out which one was Jay. Jay, where are you? She called loudly over the rush of blood in her ears, the violent drone of the helicopter terrifyingly close behind them. Stop this. Go home, all of you. 
You first lady, a boy's voice replied, you don't understand. This is not like the other nights. There are people, people have been authorized to kill you if you rob that ship. Jay, please. A low whistle went out over the boat and guns began to appear over the bow, brandished casually and slung over their slender shoulders. Ain't the only ones with guns, D, said Jay's voice as he approached the front. It was low and serious, terrifying in its authority. If she couldn't convince him alone, what chance did she have to convince him in front of his friends? D heard the clicking off of the safety switch on Bobby's gun behind her and spun. Bobby, stand the fuck down. They are kids. Bobby seethed and then reluctantly obeyed. D, they're going to shoot us or plow through us. You can't save what don't want to be saved, he growled. Over their shoulders, the helicopter was getting closer, clearing away ahead of the ship. It would be upon them in a matter of minutes. D blew panic breath from burning cheeks and looked around them for another answer, but none presented itself. What can I say to make this stop? She pleaded to the mass pirates. It isn't fair, and I'm sorry. They should care more about you. They always should have. But dying here tonight doesn't prove anything except they don't. There's no message you can send that these people will hear if you're sending it with their bought bullshit in your hands. It's a bad world. It never got to be as great as it could have been, but there's still so much I... Dee turned around with tears scorching her cheeks. People were standing on their walkways, illuminated in their open doors and looking on in fear. Look, you won't even survive to paw in the crap, okay? Bobby yelled. Maybe you find another way out. Maybe you go back to piracy when you have a better plan. But don't do this tonight. Not like this. Go home to your families and figure something else out. It's what we've always done. There's always been a better way. Dee said, leaving the last word to the sea breeze and the chopping blades of the helicopter. The pirates seemed to confer with one another wordlessly for a while, but Jay never turned his gaze from hers. Stand out, he finally grunted, but the blaring of a ship's horn drowned him out. The Amazon ship had turned the corner at the top of the street, baiting them all in harsh, white light. The helicopter brought up the rear and zoomed ahead in a hover directly over Dee's boat, spotlight shining on the pirate decks. They barely had time to put down their weapons. No, 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 Dee stammered, waving her arms in a gesture of ceasefire. She heard Jay's frantic shouts of clear the deck behind her and she reached for the mic to her loudspeaker. You are in violation of the helicopter blare. There's no trouble here. No trouble, Dee screeched into her own microphone. These are just kids. They're clearing out right now. Stand down. You are in violation of stand down, Dee bellowed. We will be forced to open fire. Get out of here, Bobby screamed. But Dee could barely see for staring into the lights as long as she had. The ship's horn roared again as it continued its approach, threatening to crush their boat. Who knew if the kids had managed to abandon the ship? Around her, outraged cries rang out from neighbors bearing witness, and the helicopter was still threatening to open fire. You have ten seconds to comply, the helicopter commanded. All the ways to die on the edge of the world, she thought. Her mind reeled as she squinted toward the pirate ship to see the kids scrambling. There was nowhere for them to go that wasn't into the narrow strips of water or leaping onto nearby rooftops. Someone's shirt was strung from an antenna as a makeshift white flag. She and Bobby exchanged desperate looks, 
that said neither of them knew what to do, which way to flee, if they were even targets or if they'd be leaving the kids to their fate. Eight, it was supposed to be a wave. Five, we were supposed to drown or freeze to death. Three, the chaos of the end was supposed to be different. Two, why did nothing ever change? One, the end. Oh, I knew what was coming this time, and it didn't make a lick of difference yeah. my reaction to that story. I think it started stressing me out a little bit, too. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, ask me what happened after that, and I will tell you, I don't know. Oh. oh. I, I do not know how the story ends. I mean, that is... That is the way... To end that story, uh, it, you know, I, I, I said some of this yesterday that, uh, like, having grown up in Philadelphia specifically and knowing, uh, as, as we'd mentioned before recording, that uh, you'd spent some time in Philly as well, like, those narrow streets downtown, I can just imagine full up of water and oh evocative thank you so, yeah we'll, we'll see if i can get it actually published but uh, oh yeah so we missed out didn't go into the background so oh yeah 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 what had happened was uh, <laughs> this story was uh, supposed to be uh, a part of an anthology uh, a climate change anthology that was uh, the goal of which was to take the effects of climate change out of their their sort of grand imposing the polar ice caps are melting there's nothing you can do about that tangibly but you know that's what they do mm -hmm. um, sort of take climate change from that broader perspective and personalize it um, what happens to individuals and families and smaller communities mm -hmm. Um, what are those, what do those direct as opposed to like existential, um, you know, changes, uh, what do those things look like? Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, like climate change kind of just kind of COVID and then going on and, it yeah. keeps happening and things are awful. So um, it was no longer sort of a, a uh, these are things that could happen. These are things that we we're predicting is ha are happening. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't, you know, once you're you're in the shit, you're not really predicting the shit anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yep. so yeah. So this story has just kind of been um, wallowing in obscurity. Um, well, I on my hard I did some googling after uh, after the first time we recorded, and I've seen other people use the term climate punk. So I can't say I coined it, but this is absolutely a climate punk story and I'm so very here for like you know it, it is that societal like personal level of things of what are what are people trying to do to actually just get by in I mean it is also like a bullshit cyberpunk future because yeah. it's got Amazon in it but like you know when we think of cyberpunk we don't tend to think of climate change being part of that mix it's more sort of you know an exotified neon lit uh 
type of expanse as opposed to yeah yeah um and it does uh it really reminds me strongly in some ways of uh premi muhammad's new novella which is coming out later this month uh and what can we offer you this evening um not in uh the specifics by any means but in a lot of the sort of broad strokes uh capitalism run amok types of ways that uh there really are you know two levels of people and there are people for whom the laws don't really apply or don't apply at all and i mean you know that's that's pretty much just reality but it's it's quite a shot and chaser to have these two works back to back. I did say yesterday that I was going to to, to pre order that, so it is on my my bookshop. Excellent. Right yeah, uh, listeners, absolutely get this book. You want it in your life. Um, it's fantastic, and I also. Uh, friend of the show rk duncan tweeted at me uh afterwards that he had a story out from tour.com uh for every jack that's also a climate punk story so uh links as always in the show notes um so one of the things that i was really excited to uh have you on to talk about you know shifting gears entirely away from this is uh you know, as I mentioned uh, in the intro, you are the outgoing artistic director at Faya Literary Magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, I've just been like continually blown away by the work you guys have been doing over there for the last five years now. Yeah, this is this is year five, um, October. Well, yeah, because theoretically, technically, we started um, uh, in. We launched in August of, of 2016. Our first publication mm-hmm. year wasn't until January of 2017. So you can count it or not count it. I like to count it as year five because... I'm going to say it counts. Time is fake anyway, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah, whatever. Four, four, um, four years is five, is three, is you, is me, is all of yep. us together. Um, I, I, I literally, I, I had a problem today where I thought that it was it was still Sunday, and oh this, no. is, this is piggybacking off of last week um, when I was pretty sure that Thursday was Friday. So I don't know what is happening um, to my brain. Oof! But I feel scrambled. I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm I'm wondering if you can uh, just talk a little bit about your perspective as that uh, in that position of being artistic director at FIA of uh, what sort of what that meant for you creatively and what that uh, what your position could mean for the magazine and and sort of that that process it's sure. it's a monday evening neither of us are yeah you know, entirely words, here anymore words also constructs we are we are operating yep. in the gray tonight um so yes um in the beginning i was the uh only person who was going to be on the um on the fire staff with uh, a visual background like i 
done graphic design for a number of years, like client-based mm-hmm. stuff that I'm thrilled to no longer be doing. Um, uh, so I, I could do things like set up the website, um, uh, created the logo, things like that, and sort of tapped on to it, which is like, okay, well, art director seems like a good thing to lump in here with all these other visual aspects um, mm-hmm. of of the the web of the the magazine. Um, so um, we went with just the one artist uh, the first year, Geneva, then Benton, now Bowers, um, mm-hmm. uh, because you know Fire started out as an experiment. We didn't know we were going to make it, you know, to a year or two. It was just like a, mm-hmm. we started um, the magazine with a uh, you know kind of grumpy. Uh, <laughs> uh, with the, with the goal of trying to um, quantify or at least, you know, be like, hey, you know, Black SFF writers exist um, in mm-hmm. volume. Um, there's no reason, you know, so you can no longer use the excuse that, that we don't exist or you don't know where to find us. We are all literally right here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went from that. Um, and I think we were able to progress more into the joyful side of it uh it was less about proving our existence than than celebrating um mm-hmm. our existence i think is is what we i mean and you can see it in the you know the communicate um the community that we've cultivated uh brent lambert who does social media um does i i, I only do social media sometimes so like, like if you pay mm-hmm. attention you can tell when it's me because <laughs> like it's like i sound irritated <laughs> in, in my in my text um, but if you see anything uplifting or super positive, um, that is all Brent. And so he is to blame for uh, this massive, uh, what, 17,000 uh, following we have mm-hmm. now. Uh, so getting it in as an art director, um, being able to expose uh, the same way that our editors can expose, you know, all of people who um at, whether you subscribe or don't um you know mm-hmm. we've had a bunch of authors go on um like we've we've helped launch careers um mm-hmm. you know our authors and now some of people's favorite writers um we've we've had award winners and award long listers and these are all things that had we let had we let the landscape remain as it was like without our presence or without someone intentionally um, highlighting mm-hmm. uh, our work, um, you know, the, these things wouldn't have happened. So, as art director, while they're doing the prose and poetry stuff, I have delighted in uh, exposing people to more Black artists and illustrators. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, like, honestly, the whole thing—what a cool feeling to be able to do that. Yeah, that's that's been my favorite thing about working in this um, capacity. Like I'll still be um, with Via in my other capacities. Like I compose the issues, um, I still do the website stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of those things. But um, I, I I won't be in a position any longer to do this, at least for, for Fire. Like I'm over at Fireside now doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> more black artists over there. And a bunch Hell of like, yeah. and a bunch of non-black artists too, um, because you know that's um, in my search for black artists um, and illustrators mm-hmm. to do our covers. I've come across, you know, so many of these other people that I've wanted to work with. So I like 
I like being able to branch out a little bit more. But I did start doing uh, interviews for the position uh, this week, and there are some promising oh, candidates. Exciting. And it was so weird to be like, okay, I'm getting, I'm very defensive about like what what you're saying. Like you want to deviate from my <laughs> from you know my model, my path. How dare you? Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like a few interviews in, and I, I let that go. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really excited um, for the the future of the art of the, the mm-hmm. magazine. Yeah, I mean, just everything about Faya. Uh, I realized at this point, 45 minutes into the show, that some listeners might not know actually what Faya magazine is. Oh. So can you give us the 30-second the elevator pitch on it? Oh, God. Elevators. Who does that anymore? Yeah. Mask, mask <laughs> up and take the stairs. Um mm-hmm. So FIA Literary Magazine is the magazine of Black speculative fiction. Uh, We publish only Black writers. We've been doing it since 2017. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we are, we are sort of, we we consider as our sort of spiritual ancestors, um, the original um, FIRE uh for the for the young negro artist um mm. the 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 harlem renaissance uh released issue um of that uh edited by langston hughes or Neil hurston et al mm-hmm. uh and we like to consider ourselves sort of carrying on in that same vein um you know uplifting black writers uh providing mm-hmm. them with community um, and exposure and support as they go off and do these other wondrous things. Um, Hell yes. We have also spawned Fiacon, which is, yeah. is a it's a cool segue situation. You read my mind. I was uh I was just about to mention Fiacon, which runs from September sixteenth through nineteenth this year, all online. Tickets available now at theconvention.fialitmag.com. Links, as always, in the show notes. And Faya is F-I-Y-A-H. Yeah, it is so, Faya, not Fia. Yeah. Um, George. Inside jokes. He, he, will, he will never live that down. I will never let that He's go. He's also never going to listen to this show. He's just going to be fucking off all the way into the sun. I, I fully intend to achieve some level of global domination at some point, and... Just like be in his orbit where I can just be like, <laughs> I can be telling someone else the story of the mispronunciation that that birthed essentially the Ignite Awards. Um, mm-hmm. And and just like have him shudder. I would I would appreciate that. I would love that. Uh, so a little bit about Fiacon as well, uh, which is what garnered you your second Hugo finalist position this year. Yes. Just this year. I was on Bell last year just the once, but now it's I the know. Twice, and I love it. Um, yeah, so FiCon uh, is it's a virtual convention uh, that centers the uh, contributions and experiences of uh, BIPOC, that's Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And there's a plus on there, so like some of their friends. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, <laughs> um we're centering and celebrating the experience of BIPOC in speculative literature. Um, 
so this uh, it was another sort of experimental entity. Uh, Fire received a lot of monetary support um, mm -hmm. off of the events of June uh, 2020, the uh, the deaths and protests, or, or the protests surrounding um, the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Um, and we received so much support that not only were we able to raise our rates to, uh, to you know, CIFWA professional standard rates, mm -hmm. we are now a pro-zine, uh, we were able to um, get a lot of interest and support for our first ever virtual convention. Um, and last year it was, it was a whole lot of Zoom links um, mm -hmm. and a Discord. And again, because of the the community that, that fire has cultivated um, just, it was great vibes and super informative. Uh, we had, mm -hmm. uh, we had um, uh, Vita Cruz and Iori Kusano. They ran a uh, sort of our quote unquote fringe element, which is our, which was our free um, tier uh, aimed at international guests, making sure that they had access um, mm -hmm. you know, to, to programming content. Um, and, you know, for $40 here, um, is different, you know, from $40, uh, somewhere else. Right. So the free was important. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically what we wanted to do was correct the things, um, that we found lacking in other conventions, the major conventions, the mm -hmm. situations where, um, you know, accessibility, having captions um, or something present uh, was considered mm -hmm. uh, too costly uh, pursuit or uh, the, tokeni the tokenization of BIPOC on panels, um, mm -hmm. the treating of diversity, um, the, the treating of ethnic um, features, um, storytelling modes in a story being treated as something that isn't automatic. It's not something that's been ingrained in the attendees, it's something that, you know, um, it's a 101 level designed to give other people who are outsiders to those cultures and outsiders to those groups a, a glimpse, you know, in, into, mm -hmm. into what these things are. Um, and so we wanted to give these writers a space where, um, you know, it was not debatable um, whether or not they were human or whether or not mm -hmm. they were worthy of these, these, you know, quote unquote, extra measures, like being able to, to have access to the programming, you know, if, if they need the captions or something. Um, mm -hmm. We wanted to treat cultural elements as if they were default. Um, mm -hmm. And so people, you know, panelists weren't getting onto panels and having to explain themselves and their families to the audience right. in order for people to get it. Um, and we really just celebrated each other. Um, in that way and it ended up being really well received um mm -hmm. we uh we were able to to pay our volunteers you know like which no one no one else uh does uh -huh. that's not industry standard um and then of course we birthed the uh the ignite awards which came from the whole mispronunciation thing and those were started in the similar spirit of you know fuck you these things it's not difficult to mm -hmm. to honor people to respect people that you're supposed to be honoring um so you know we made name pronunciations and you know spellings we took those things seriously they weren't just you know, uh -huh. big jokes um you know uh, finalists 
and winners um, all get trophies packaged up in my very own dining room. Uh, <laughs> we we just we wanted to make sure that everybody involved with the project, if they were a guest of honor, if they were an attendee, if they worked the event, if they sponsored the event, we wanted to make people mm-hmm. feel like they were um, contributing to the actual the the community aspect and the joy of the people around them, and not causing anyone any unnecessary grief. And we, we were nominated for a Hugo for it. Hell yeah. I am uh, so pumped up. I missed out last year, but this year it is one of my must-attends, especially since I won't have as much Zoom fatigue this year, hopefully. Well, we're not even on Zoom this year. We are on um, AirMeet. Yeah, because Zoom fatigue is a thing, we're like, we don't want people to have to deal with a thing that already has a fatigue thing tied to it. So mm-hmm. um, AirMeet, which is like this great platform, um, I believe NorwestCon used it um, for their virtual event this year. Um, it centralizes everything. We don't have to send out a bunch of different Zoom links. Um, you have like tables. We are able to do vendor booths now. Um, office hours are coming back. Monterey Bay Aquarium is sponsoring our column rooms. So we'll have uh, moon jellies and kelp forests. Um, That's so fabulous. Accessible from the thing. Um, the Ignite Awards ceremony is whenever that Saturday is, the 18th, um, and we'll be able to have the live, uh, speeches at that point, um, because this, so everything's going to be a bit more refined and a bit less hectic on the support staff, and I won't have to spend Mm -hmm. the whole weekend, you know, in my inbox explaining to people what I put in the email already. Um, (laughs) so, yeah, we're hoping that we can take, um, the the goodwill and the support that we got last year and um, have a, a, it's a, we're hoping it'll be a bigger event this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, that's the goal. Bigger and also Fantastic. cleaner at the same time. So yep. we'll, we'll see. Well, I wish you luck. Uh, I wish everybody involved uh, volunteering and running the event all the luck in the world. It's going to be fantastic, and I'm so looking forward to it. Thank um, you. before we get going, where can our listeners find you elsewhere online? Certainly. So um, on Twitter, I am Elvavillain, E-L-L-E-T-H-E-V-I-L-L-A-I-N. Um, and my website that I have yet to update, but will probably get to by the end of the month so that I can announce some some other fun things in the pipeline uh, mm-hmm. website is ldlewiswrites.com. Um, and it's really just those two places other than like Slack. I'm in 11 Slack. So if I'm, we're, yeah. pro- we're probably in a Slack together. If you're in a writer Slack, you're probably in a Slack with Al. Yeah, that's pretty much, I think I'm on Discord too, but who knows what the hell that is. Um, who even knows? We are yeah. not the youths. No. Oh God. The, the day I have to learn TikTok will be, will be the day. Just put me in a home. Enough. Oh. Um, and also, before we get going, uh, and I forgot to do this last time, is there anything that you are hyped about that you want other people to know about? What am I hyped about? I am hyped about this uh, LeVar Burton Reads podcast contest thing. That, oh, yeah. Um, and you're getting a scoop because they're not announcing this until tomorrow. But uh, basically... Uh, FIA and Tor.com uh, are sponsoring uh, the first ever LeVar Burton Reads 
uh, writing contest in which we are inviting you to submit work in the theme of uh, origins and encounters. And so that's sort of an exploration of um, cultural Oregon's, um, Oregon's, what? Not cultural, <laughs> the, the state of Oregon in multi multiple. Um, the uh, origins and encounters, so origins being um, a native uh, anything, sort of unadulterated, um, you know, who and what are we at our, our, our basic, our core, um, mm -hmm. and then how those things change or evolve or devolve um, mm -hmm. with an encounter with um, the outside world. So we're looking for um, takes on, you know, colonization, obviously, um, mm -hmm. settlerism, uh, the way things like our, our faiths, um, our gender identities, our, mm -hmm. our style, our music, our food, how do these things um, change, evolve? Uh, what do we um, demand stays the same? Um, just LeVar is really excited to explore these, these concepts of, you know, just the way things change, the way we change each other. Um, mm -hmm. And it will be edited by myself and Diana Fo. She's at, um, where is she? Diana is at Realm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Diana's at Realm. I wanted to say Troy.com, formerly at Troy.com, at Realm, is brilliant. I'm very excited to be working with her. Um, submissions open August 1st and will remain so. Um, throughout the month of August, even though Faya is involved, you do not have to be black to participate. That's something I want to keep like asterisking. Mm -hmm. Like just because you see our name, um, you know, the magazine is is black only. Uh, FiaCon welcomes everyone, but you know who we're celebrating. Um, mm -hmm. And the Lavar Burton Reads thing is everybody. Just you know, you're talking to, you're trying to get work in front of Mr. Reading Rainbow, uh, mm -hmm. Jordy LaForge. Um, so be mindful of your, uh, content and <laughs> be aware to... of who your audience is. Exactly. And please it's don't Mr. send Burton. us, don't send us terrible trunk stories that don't have anything to do with the theme, please. I don't mm -hmm. like, I will tweet about you and not like, I'll leave your <laughs> name out, but like, you'll see a subject. You'll know. Yeah. You'll know. Well, Elle, it has been such an absolute pleasure to ha have you on the show. So much fun, we did it twice. Yes, um, and I would do it a third time. You are a delight. Excellent. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show at some point in the future. I can guarantee that it'll happen. Uh, especially as exciting things get announced, I am always looking for book tour guests. Uh, so, we... We're on a Slack together. We know how to we, reach each we other. We are. See, that's that's how it happens. Just get me in a Slack and like hit me up with, with collaboration Hell things. Yeah. Listeners, uh, join us again next month when our guests will be Premi Muhammad and Lee Harlan. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, 
and I tweet at HBBisniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.